Would you like to exchange best practices and ideas to improve care, enhance operational efficiency, and address financial challenges with your peers? Becker's Healthcare is facilitating these conversations at their 8th Annual Health IT, Digital Health, and RCM meeting. You can check your eligibility for complimentary attendance at the link in the description. We are excited to welcome you in October. Hi, everyone. Welcome to a Becker's podcast. On the line with us is Scott Sefji. He is an amazing pharmacy expert. I'm really excited to get his thoughts on the expert space. Um, we're just going to go ahead and start diving in. Scott, could you please introduce yourself and tell us a bit about your background? Uh, yeah. Hi, I'm glad to be here. My name is Scott Sefci. I am the current director of pharmacy cancer care services at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, uh, which basically means I oversee the oncology service line at at the Rochester campus in Mayo. At Mayo. Uh, and then I coordinate oncology pharmacy services across the enterprise where we're trying to get everything aligned and, and doing it about the, the same way wherever we can. Um, I'm a hospital pharmacist uh, by training. I'm one of those pharmacists that got a Bachelor of Science back in the 80s. I worked a few years in hospitals, went back and got my Doctor of Pharmacy degree, did a residency fellowship, and I have had a breadth of experience, uh, academia, uh, clinical practice. I did a little bit of industry. And then uh, about 15 years ago, made a decision to go into pharmacy administration. Uh, and really have been focusing on the administrative side of oncology care. And so that's where I am now. I've bounced around, worked at Yale New Haven for a while, director of pharmacy in Austin, Texas for a while. Now I'm here at Mayo and am loving it here. Great. Great. I'm glad you're living at Mayo. What opportunities or headwinds uh, do you kind of have your eye on right now? Yeah, I'm I'm really intrigued with AI, whether you call it in augmented intelligence or artificial intelligence or whatever. Uh, a lot of what pharmacists do, particularly on that operational side, that order verification side, is pattern recognition. And I really think we're going to get to a point where the pharmacist doesn't have to do as much work. If the thing is normal, everything looks good, there's no changes to the order, uh, it meets the criteria, it just flows all the way through. And then the AI flags us to be looking at those exceptions. And you know, this, this is something you should take a look at kind of thing. And what I'm excited about then is it begins to get us to that point where we wanted to be for several decades now of let's get you out in front of the patient. Let's have the pharmacist face-to-face -face with patients, shoulder-to-shoulder uh, -shoulder with providers in the clinics. Um, we're starting to do this here at Mayo where we're getting more and more people into the clinic. And I think it's really got opportunities. And we're finding that pharmacists can really help things in the clinic to become more efficient. Uh, we find when the pharmacists actually are doing the chemo orders, the number of changes we have to make on the backside is less. Uh, when the pharmacists are managing some of the toxicities and side effects, uh, patients do a little better. I mean, those are the kind of things we're really excited about and want to get out and do. Uh, the other thing I'm real interested in is uh, robotics. We've installed our first chemo compounding robot here at Mayo Clinic. It's doing roughly 20% of our mixes uh, every day. Uh, and again, the question is, could we get to the point where we don't have to have a human hands touch these hazardous drugs? And I think that would be 
beneficial to everybody. And, and I don't think it's going to replace people. What I think it's going to do is free people up to become more efficient, uh, work, uh, work smarter, not harder, those kind of things. And so I'm really excited about where we're going to be over the next five or six years. I think some of the roadblocks to all of this is there's some cost involved. There's a lot of regulatory barriers we're going to have to overcome. Uh, there's a lot of, of that's the way we've done it kind of attitudes, particularly at the regulatory level. Uh, and we're going to have to work through some of these to show that these things are safe, efficient, and the way to go. So I think it's a fun time to be a pharmacist, fun time to be a pharmacy administrator as you're starting to put things together to say what can we do to become more efficient and show more value to people. I understand. The, I'm really interested in the uh, robot that you mentioned of the 20% of mixes every day. You said it's the first chemo. It, it's the first chemotherapy compounding robot in the state of Minnesota. Now, there, there are others across the country. We're not the first in the country, but... Uh, we're the first in the state of Minnesota, um, and so it's set up that it will actually compound the chemotherapy for us. Uh, so the technician loads the robot with the appropriate supplies, and then the robot uses barcode technology, optical scanning, uh, gravimetric weighing, and actually prepares the chemotherapy uh, and is very, very accurate. Uh, the, the number of rejections is very, very tiny. Uh, and so it's it's one of those things we really think are safe and effective, and it frees our technician. They can load the robot, and then they can go off and do something else while the robot's compounding. You know, those are the kind of things that we really like to see more and more of as we go. The question is, how do we make the robots more efficient also? Um, you know, it, it, can we get to the point where we're doing 50% or something like that? That's where we'd like to be over time. And how far or close in the future do you think that you know, 20% to 50% changes? Uh, I don't think it's as far off as we think it is. Uh, we've seen some some demos at some of the, the national meetings of robots that are doubling the volume, the capacities that we do now. Um, and I think it's just getting those robots to market, getting them in and set up and ready to go. Uh, and then I, I suspect there's another wave coming behind that until... There, there's going to be a diminishing return. There's going to be a point where it can't mix any faster than that physically. Uh, but I think uh, how do you build these robots where you've got multiple arms doing multiple things at the same time, and it makes it an efficient process to move the drugs through the system. Um, again, the faster we compound things, the faster we get drugs out the door, the faster we can treat patients, and maybe we can move that patient through the system just a little bit quicker, and if we do that for all of the patients that come in today, maybe we treat more patients and we have better access, that kind of stuff. That's the long-term goal when we're trying to make the clinic more efficient. You also mentioned kind of regulatory uh, barriers and, you know, an attitude of, well, that's the way we've always done it. Can you kind of delve more into, you know, what might kind of halt or pause these advancements? There are... Uh, regulatory boards, like the Board of Pharmacy, those kind of things, that are reluctant to make radical jumps because they're concerned with safety, population safety, et cetera. Um, and so what you have to do whenever you're making these technological jumps 
is show to the regulatory agencies this process is safe. We can do this process as well, if not better, than if a human does it and prove to them that these systems work. It takes time to do that. And so when you're sitting there talking to someone who's never seen a robot before try to do the work, you're, you're, having, to ex you're having to explain to them this is effective, this is safe, this is not something we have to worry about. And then sometimes you even have to go to the legislators to get the laws changed because there's a law that may prevent you from doing that. All of that process takes time. Um, and it's just one of those things that we have to, we, we're constantly having to deal with in healthcare as technology evolves. I think one of, the, one of the issues we're facing right now is technology is evolving faster than the regulatory and policy agencies can keep up with. And so we're just going to have to work through those processes over time. Eventually, they'll come around. Eventually, the law will change or the regula regulatory policy will change. It's just going to be able to show – it's going to require us to show that this is the appropriate change to make and this is the appropriate time to do it. And I'm sure many other hospital pharmacy leaders um, would like to see regular regulatory changes made soon. Um, you know, if it is freeing up pharmacists and pharmacy technicians' times um, so they can work smarter, not harder, like you said, um, could help kind of alleviate some of the workforce shortages, I'm sure. Yeah, unfortunately, most pharmacies are regulated at the state level. So, you know, across a country, we almost literally have to do this 50 times. You have to convince each state that this is the right thing to do. Now, there'll be a momentum, there'll be a wave as more and more people and more and more states adopt it. It gets easier for the, 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 the later states to adopt it. But if you're sort of in that front wave or so, sometimes it takes you a while to get things changed, get things adopted, get things ready to where you want them to be. Right, right. Um, just to kind of move it out of the robot AI topic for a bit, you said it's a fun time to be a pharmacy administrator right now. Are there any other um, kind of trends that excite you right now? Um, I, I really, th there's a shortage of oncologists in the country right now. Um, there's a shortage of oncology nurses. There's a shortage of advanced practice providers. So for me, I'm sitting there thinking about what can a pharmacist do in clinic to provide their clinical expertise on drug therapy to help our, pharma our, our, our provider colleagues to reduce burnout, to help them get patients through, to see more patients, to do those things we need to do to meet the demands of a growing cancer population. Um, cancer is a disease of old age. And so as the population increases, as it gets older, we're going to see more and more cancer patients. So we've, we've got this perfect situation set up where pharmacists can step in and be almost providers, primary providers, or providers to help make sure the therapy is being done uh, appropriately, it's being done effectively. And it really excites me to see what we can do from a pharmacy perspective as we're put in these uh, clinic positions. Um, I think it's going to be very, very interesting. Uh, we're also in that, we're, you know, we're starting that transition of moving from quantity to quality and how does reimbursement follow that process. 
and that's a tricky that's a tricky situation as we start looking at changing reimbursement models, evolution of of the economics of cancer, uh, and then you combine that with cancer drugs that are just skyrocketing in price. Uh, we have to sit back and say, what are we going to do to show value to make sure this whole process works? And to me, I think pharmacy can shine with that because we can show value by making sure we're using the right drug, right time, right patient, and doing it in the right way so that we get the best outcome. You put that all together, you're optimizing quality, and when you optimize quality, then you improve the value to patients. And that's something that we're really, we're really looking at to try to optimize at this point in time. Right, right. Something else that I wanted to kind of poke your brain about is because of the you know pharmacy oncology angle, and there are a lot of uh, cancer drugs that I know are in pretty severe shortages right now. Um, what what are your thoughts on that? Drug shortages have been a significant problem for the last decade, decade and a half, uh, and they continue to be shortages. Just about the time you think you've reached the point where you're not going to have to worry about a shortage, another one pops up. And so we have constantly had to deal with drug shortages again over the last 10 to 15 years. And we're not, I would, I would say we're getting better at it, but it is still a constant headache. It's one of those things when you start talking about burnout in healthcare providers, when you're constantly having to juggle, can I treat this patient the way they needed to need to be treated? Or am I going to have to find an alternative because we can't get the drug? That creates a significant, uh, significant pressure. And that pressure leads to burnout. And then particularly when you run into one of those severe shortages where you're having to say, I can treat this patient, but not that one. And you're starting to have to decide this patient's curable, this one's not. I'm going to give the patient this drug because that's the best use of the drug. That's a tough situation to be in. It's a tough situation to put anybody in. And, uh, you know, at, at Mayo, we have a great team that stays on top of this and so we're, we're trying to prevent getting into that situation to the best of our abilities. Uh, but we're always worried about it. We're always looking at it. We're always trying to figure out how do we stay ahead of the shortages. Uh, and I think that's something that everybody across the country is having to deal with. I wish there was a way to fix it. And I don't know the way to fix it other than incentivizing uh, generic companies to make some of these cheaper drugs. Uh, and incentivize them by maybe we have to pay more for them, uh, which means then the reimbursement has to go up and all these other things. But that may be the only way we can figure out how to make this process work. While I still have you for a few more minutes, is there anything else you'd like to add? I, I just think that as oncology continues to grow, you know, we're getting we're getting better drugs, we're getting more treatments, we're getting interesting drugs. Uh, we're on the wave of cellular therapy and gene therapy. I think it's a great time to be an oncology pharmacist because uh, we, get to, we get to work with the cutting-edge technologies, uh, both on the drug side and now even on the technological side, uh, and we can be right there front line to help patients. And so it's one of those things that I'm excited to be an oncology pharmacist at this point in time. And I think that's something that we can really, really take a step forward in helping the overall value to patients, the overall value to the institutions, and ultimately the over, overall value to society as we improve healthcare 
globally across you know, our country. And I think that's one of the things that's really fun to think about as a pharmacy administrator, and I think that's why it's fun to be uh, at this point in time. Great. Well, thank you again so much for your time, Scott. That's all we have for today. Um, yeah, thank, thank you, thank you, thank you, really. It's so important for leaders at the top of organizations to keep learning, stay sharp, grow their networks. To help our audience better do this in a more simplified, personalized, and meaningful way, Becker's Healthcare has launched MyBHC. It's your trusted Becker's healthcare experience and more with content, connections, events, and learning opportunities. Join the community free of charge at www.my.beckershospitalreview.com and we'll see you there.